0: Hey, everybody, how you doing? Uh, I'm here with Nathan Hogard, one of my favorite people on Earth. Now, did I say your name right? Be- and I say that only because every guest has had something interesting with their names in the sense of, like, uh, a lot of actors who yeah. have changed their names to make them more pronounceable. <laughs> so your name it's what Danish or Swedish? What's the etymology? Yeah. It's Scandinavian, but I Scandinavian. I don't speak
1: any Scandinavian language, so I wouldn't be able to, to correct. So Hogard might be Hogard, Hogard. Maybe, maybe that's his My parents are Hogard. So
0: good. Hogard,
1: Hogard. But I don't really, you know, like I'm, I'm cool, I'm flexible. Maybe we need, to, maybe this is the opportunity to come up with a stage name.
0: <laughs> <Maybe I> should... <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll, I'll I'll sit on that and we'll come up with a great stage name for you. Yeah. But uh okay, yeah. So this is Nathan director of photography, director, editor, colorist. You know, I know professionally you might not want to be labeled as some of those things, but your skill set is unreal. Filmmaker and filmmaker. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So that is how you describe yourself. Yeah, storyteller, storyteller
1: first, filmmaker more specifically, and then cinematographer as the sort of like, if we really want to get into the nitty gritty and, and where would I, who would pay me the most for my time? Yeah. That.
0: Oh, I love that, that distinction. Did you have to sort of find your way to that distinction over the years? Because you've been in the game a long time. Like yeah.
1: Finding it there and then finding it back. Yeah. And I think find like I think coming back to filmmaker and storyteller has been like the, that's the most recent journey. That's the journey I'm on today. It,
0: oh, I love that. Yeah,
1: like embracing. Like, why did you get it? Like, I didn't get into this to be a, a cinematographer. I didn't get into this to, yeah. to not love editing and writing. That's yeah. that's how it started, which yeah. I think you said we're gonna get into. But it's but I'm finding my way back there today because I feel that it's. That's just a part of a, the, the deeper truth of who I am storytelling.:
0: mm-hmm. You know what's interesting, man. As like I met with two different producers last year. One of them's like, in a lot of ways, the most successful producer I've ever met in terms of like what I want to be doing. Mm. She started with a script she found, had no producing experience. Um, Just through sheer volition and what she would report, love, that's it. Yeah. She met, uh, raised $8 million, and now the lead actress has Oscar-nominated the movie to Leslie, it is my friend Kelsey Laws, like, her love child. Like, she got that motherfucker going. And now... And I remember I met up with her at different stages of it. I met up with her when she just had like 100 G's in the script. And we were talking because I was doing Stocking Field stuff. and No way. And then like two years later during the pandemic, she's like, I got a million. And then by the last time she had eight million fucking dollars and now is hired by a huge uh, film conglomerate. And I remember calling her in the last six months and kind of like, Just talking like, yo, like, this is what I'm up to. And she gave me some really direct uh, but amazing feedback. She was like, you don't love your projects. And she's like, and if you do, I can't tell. And I was like, oh, of course I love them, but I've been jaded. Let myself, I'll say I'm not going to be a victim here, be jaded to Hollywood so much that I've always protected my excitement of the idea. And so she was like, literally Sean, all I do is talk about how much I love the movie. And, you know, not all, but like, she's like, that's the energy source of me because either people love it with me. And I know, and that's good information because you don't want someone who's just like there for a paycheck necessarily. Or they fucking love it. And they're on board now. Yep. Yep. And so that was this one person, and she's, like, best friends, I think, with Chris Hemsworth's main producer, and he's she, she laughs, but she's like, he's constantly telling me I'm doing everything wrong, like, you never do that, and she's like, well, I do it, and she's like, I do it with love and conviction, and look what happened, right? So she's like, I just did something where I, every move I made was, like, the antithesis of what a producer's supposed to do. Yeah, here I am. What's an example of that? Well, I think when she was first starting, she was, like, just straight up calling CAA and William Morris as a producer, even though she had just sort of been, like, not a... She'd never, she never. was an actress-turned-producer, and people were like, no, you have to kind of go through these channels, don't go around the agents, and she was just like, okay, I'm not getting here through CAA, well, I'll just go around you. To the stars directly and that's how she found a way to, you know, just constantly sorry, like, So how did she pre- get, so this is the
1: Andrea Riseborough film, right? Yeah. So yeah. how did she get in touch with Andrea?
0: She, her the fortuitous piece of this is she found an up-and-coming TV director who is looking to move into film who happened to have a Rolodex and so that's the way she found in and she got I think he was the second person on the film and uh I love that and that is sort of in a way how I've worked too so that's one producer and the second one Sarah you know and it, it was a real she probably wouldn't even remember saying this to me right but I was like talking I forget what the context was specifically but we were talking about money and she was just like oh who gets in the movies to make money and her director is like super successful he just got hired to do Blade like her guy and I was like I'm not but fuck have I been programmed to think it's about money fuck you know that's and so I had just two of the most successful young producers I would love cause me personally I would love to just have someone produce for me Mm -hmm. just produce and here are the two people who would kill. And they're both telling me the same thing. Like, don't worry about the money. Well, it's so easy to say that when <laughs> you're going
1: to be able to, you know, pay your rent. I don't know. I don't know what the situation yeah. is. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm conscious of keeping um, my nut to crack, my monthly nut to cracks.
2: Yeah.
1: day yeah. light and flexible. And that's why, like, not married, don't have kids. Yeah, that, sounds, that sounds awesome. I would love to have a home and kids. I would love to to be a father. You know, like yeah. like that would be pretty awesome. That would yeah. I would feel irresponsible doing that as I pursue this career. Mm. But that's just me. I, I, yeah. I know plenty of other people who are able to do it and I'm in awe of these people. Like I just I yeah. don't know I just don't know how they do it. I think they I think they don't know how they do it. They just do it.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the secret with kids is, like, it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, I mean, you don't really need anything to have children, technically. Right. We just built these huge systems around having them. Mm-hmm. But technically, at the end of the day, to get pregnant and to deliver, it's, like, been a human function for the whole existence. Right. So, yeah, I think about that a lot, too. But let's start at the beginning, Nathan. Where are you from? Yeah. Where are you from? I'm
1: from Vancouver, Washington, which is not to be confused with Vancouver, British Columbia, although many do, which is odd. Yeah, Uh, considering it's in Washington. And, yeah, considering that I'm an American, people will just, they hear Vancouver, they go, like, they dismiss the American part, they assume Canadians. I love it. How long were you there? My whole life. I had a super
2: oh. blessed childhood.
1: Um, the childhood home I grew up in is where my folks still live. So we were in, a, in an apartment for the first three years of my life. And then uh, they built a home in 89. And, uh, and we moved in there. And that's where my sister was born. So that was the only home she ever knew. And, um, and that was it, man. So grew up there. I was homeschooled until high school. And then I transitioned to a public high school. And I just loved making movies. I had made movies with my friends uh, during middle school. And so high school, every, every paper was like, can I write a screenplay instead of writing a paper? And then can I shoot the movie as my, like, final project for the class. So I just hijacked every single class. Um, yeah, I really railroaded a lot of teachers. <laughs> I was like...
0: <laughs> I love that.
1: This is just how I... Because I was just like, I'll spend all my time doing this. If I have to write, like, a, a paper, I'm like, I really don't care. But if it's a screenplay or whatever, <laughs> you know?
0: How is your family around that? Were they supportive? So supportive. Like, oh, that's amazing. They never
1: how did that... it. And that's why they were supportive. Which is really. Say that one more time. They never understood it, but that's Uh, why they were supportive. So, my dad's thing was he wanted to be a pilot, but he grew up with um, corrective vision in the 60s, and you couldn't be a a commercial pilot with corrected vision. So, he's. uh, I remember
0: that actually.
1: The whole family does, um, all my family did like, you know, agriculture, um, education, agriculture, and then he was the black sheep saying, like, well, I want to be a pilot. And um his parents didn't understand it, but they supported it. So then mm. I wanted to be a, a filmmaker and go like, don't understand it, have no idea how you're gonna, you know, survive and make a living doing that, but okay. So mm. So yeah, that was that's that's I a critical cool family story for sure.
0: Do you have you like found the moment of inception for you with filmmaking? Like Not that obviously one definitive moment, but you're like, ah, this is why I love movies or, you know, for me it was like, my dad was deployed a lot. And I think my little brain was like, they can't ignore a movie star. (laughs) I'll be everywhere, right? And that luckily I happened to love that acting, loved acting as well. But I could have been a nightmare if I just did something to get attention from the family and ended up hating it. But that was the start for me, I know. That's deep. And it was a babysitter. When did you realize, when did you come to that
1: realization that, that, it, that you may have gotten into it, that that was at least part of your inspiration to do
0: it? In the last few years. And, um, yeah, I was always drawn to performance. And, uh, yeah, I think there was something in my little brain that was like, if I am the biggest movie star in the world... Right, I'll get all this love and attention, but what's the difference think... for you? Because you're an athlete, so mm-hmm.
1: why why actor over athlete?
2: Hmm. That's a good question.
0: Well, with athletics, my career would be over certainly right now, and with acting, I feel like. I had the conscious thought, like, I can do this whenever. Like, I could be 80 and start acting if I really wanted to. So there was that. And truth be told, I didn't like a lot of the sports I was made to do. Um, The pieces I liked were performing, like the game. Um, Practice fucking sucked across the board, as it probably was supposed to. But I think it was more about the rigidity of being forced to be in sports year round. Mm-hmm. You know, I I have a rebellion to being told what to do that I'm still working through. But I you know, it's not. It's pardon me. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's you know, it it's a gift and it can be a curse mm-hmm. and. Um, But there were other things, but acting was the only thing I kept circling back to. Like, in my middle school years, for, like, six months, I wanted to be a professional surfer. Mm -hmm. Um, There was thoughts of professional football. I mean, I would have had to really work hard to do that stuff, but those were fleeting. Acting was always, always there. Like, I knew I was going to move to L.A. my whole life. It was weird. It was, like, a knowing I just didn't know how or when. And I remember when I was getting ready to move with Harris. I was like, oh, shit. Like, I got to move to L.A., I guess. (laughs) Like, there's nothing in front of me now that's preventing me. And thank God I had that youthful naivete to just fucking do it. Yeah. What about you? How would you get to L.A.? Like, tell me that story.
1: Yeah, it felt similarly that like I needed to be here because this is just where, where it was. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't have it.
0: Never, never New York. It was always like L.A. or well,
1: I think a couple of things. So like, I love my family. I have a great relationship with my parents, and so I wanted to to come home a lot. My dad's a pilot. So I could get on his airline between LA. So that was like, that was a big, big, big blessing.
0: That makes sense. That's smart.
1: So LA was achievable. Not a lot of flights to New York. Um, And just, I wouldn't be able to see them as often. And um, yeah, and I don't know. Like I kind of, I've always, like I grew up in the outdoors in the Pacific Northwest. And I just like outside and... I've never been crazy about, about like living in a city or spending in an inordinate amount of time in a city. Uh, fun places to visit, but I like to sure. be on the periphery. So, yeah, LA is where I wanted to go, and I just needed an excuse, and so I was turned down from every film school I applied to. I didn't have the best grades. I didn't take the SAT. Um... But I want that's cool. I wanted to go to Chapman or Loyola or USC and um I couldn't even talk to the film programs at those schools. Mm. It was just like the sort of just general academics to get into the school in general. They were like, you're not enough and, and no thanks. And so then I went to Columbia College Hollywood in Tarzana, California.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. A different yeah. conversation for a different day. <laughs> but it got me here it got me here i met some really cool yeah, people
2: did. and how old were you 20 20 yeah yeah yeah
0: how long did you last there
1: i well <laughs> <laughs> uh what's the program two years three years? it's a four-year bachelor in fine arts Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. So I have a bachelor in fine arts. Oh, you made it. I, I did you did it all. With an emphasis in directing. Cool. Uh, cool. No, emphasis. And like a minor yeah. in cinematography.
0: Sure, 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 uh, sure.
1: But um, I, was, I was in it, and then I was making my junior year film. And, uh, you know, you know me very well. So it was a, it was a remarkably ambitious project. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do a rom com. I wanted to shoot it on 16 millimeter film. And I wanted it to have just this incredible scale, greater than. I'm a huge believer in the Francis Ford Coppola um, quote about like, take 5,000 and spend it like 50,000. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're, I'm always mm-hmm. looking for a leverage point. And uh, so I had a buddy who was going to Northwestern University up in Bellingham, Washington. And he was just this. Phenomenal talent, producer, actor, mover, shaker, networker, and he had all these connections in Seattle. So I was like, okay, if I, he's the producer and lead actor, um, he's handsome, charismatic, put him in a rom com and then have him be my like local fixer in Seattle, I'm gonna get access to a ton of stuff. And I was right. We got access to the ferry system for free. Whoa. We got um, all of our permits for free. We got access to, uh, the jewelry shop where he like goes to buy the ring. It was like this vintage jewelry shop that had been around for a hundred years. I mean, we're laying dolly track. They're, they're okay, like everything. Dude, I was able in the ferry terminal in Seattle, Washington. These are like the huge ferries. I'm running <laughs> a Fisher dolly with an sr three sixteen millimeter camera. Like we're pushing it, doing like running, chasing sequences and just full carte blanche, like restaurants downtown, everything for free. All this stuff. So I'm, I'm getting ready to go and do this And I'm super excited about it And um, my LA Like I had to have a producer Through the film school Another student He got cold feet Because I was lying To the, the equipment cage I was going to take the camera package From our school And they had said like Oh well you're not shooting out of state Are you? And I go, no, 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 we're going to go up to San Francisco and we're going to shoot yeah. in San Francisco. And they go, okay, great. He gets cold feet. He rats me out two weeks before we leave. He doesn't tell me first. He just goes to the dean and says, Nathan's lying to you.
0: What the actual fuck? So then
1: the, so I find out through the dean, the dean, and I should have sued for slander. So the dean writes a blanket email to all faculty Uh, And he said that Nathan Haugard is like, I forgot the exact descriptors, but it was, you know, like sociopathic was one of them. Mm. And um, so anyone caught helping Nathan produce his illegal film will be dealt with. So the producer quits the project. He and I aren't friends. And uh, one of the professors who did like me says, you should probably get out of town for a while. What the fuck? So I I left the school. I didn't renew, so I, you know, I don't have I think maybe I had my associates, but like so I leave, but I have all of these locations locked and talent locked and tickets bought for my friends that are going to fly up with me and we wanted to shoot aerials of Seattle and so through my dad we got a Cessna 172 for free. We've Holy
2: shit. Hanging
1: out the side of a Cessna, shooting 16 millimeter aerials of the Space Needle and the mountains and everything. Like, the whole, the whole deal.
2: Yeah.
1: And, um, but the catch is that now I've lost my, uh, my camera package and uh, my insurance. So my parents came in and saved the day. Hmm.
0: Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I want
1: to be honest about that. This isn't like I did this on my own. Um, my parents totally supported me, and
0: they. No, it's always a village, man. Yeah, it yeah, wouldn't. My have, dad would stepped have. in and helped me too at times. It made a big difference. Yeah, it's fucking awesome, and it's a good example to highlight. Nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, it's what parents are supposed to do.
1: Well, they still question it, and it gets held over me like all the time. Where they're going, like you know, if, if there's something I'm kind of like, sure.
0: I don't know if I want okay. to come
1: and clean the gutters on the house kind of a thing. They're,
0: like, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and That's why they do right, it. That's so do. They got a little edge
1: on you. Um, so, yeah, so I did that. I made that film. And uh,
0: What's the name of that film?
1: It was called Marry Me. And you're directing? I wrote, directed, edited, produced.
0: Wow, man. I know a little bit about that. Yeah. So I knew you were fucking in it. How what was the runtime on it? Um twenty, thirty minutes or did you yeah, go? Like was 30, it a feature? Fifteen minutes. Fifteen? Yeah. Wow man. Yeah. That's some serious work, dude. Yeah. Oh and you were twenty?
2: Yeah. That's rad. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was nutty.
0: It was not a fun experience. I was like, man, it sounds like, you know, something I would do where I'm like, I'm not going to just try one really hard thing at once. I'm going to do 10. Yeah. You know, like you're out of state, which if anybody knows traveling with film is tough because if something goes down in Seattle, now Nathan has to like pivot on the spot and not necessarily have a camera house ready to supplement him. So he's, like, being, yep. it's, like, really risky, yep. especially on a low budget.
1: Yeah, I've got pictures of me directing that. I remember the crew, and they're all having a blast because they're on vacation, mm-hmm. and I'm stressed out of my mind. I bet. And so it, it got, I was, I was hyper-specific because, you know, I always had shot my own stuff, but I really thought the cinematographer was wonderful. And it became contentious between him and I, um, because I was just asking for some specific things, and and I just wasn't having fun. And he was a very fun-loving, beautiful person, and I just couldn't chill out. I couldn't get out of my own way, and yeah. so he just like there was just an energy disconnect, mm. and which is not a problem. You can you can work with anybody. Here's where it became a problem. We're shooting the climax. Do you remember the real world Seattle where they throw the fish and it says real world on it?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> so <laughs> we we're filming with those same dudes. And in like wow. in my chase sequence, the whole the whole conceit of the film is the the guy proposes. He he kind of like he gets cold feet, changes his mind, and he's he's like um, he decides not to ask. The the one woman to marry him, it's like it's he wants to marry his best friend. It's like not the don't pursue the sort of like the dream girl stuff. I don't know. It's like he just has a moment of of honesty with himself, where he's like, what's really important to me? And so he decides to sort of at the last minute, he's just like, he's like, no, it's always been this girl. Like she's the one. Mm. And but she's leaving because she thinks that he's gonna like go after the girl who doesn't really want him, right? So she's going to get on the ferry, and she's leaving, so he has to run across town with the ring and hop on the ferry to then propose to her, right? hmm So it kind of all builds up to him losing the ring, which is he's running through Pike Place Market in Seattle— and he gets hit in the head with one of the fish as they throw it to a customer. (laughs) And there's ice all over the ground from the fish. Uh, And the diamond ring gets lost in the ice. And so it's this whole sequence of him crawling through a crowd, Mm. and like Indiana Jones and and, uh, Temple of Doom, the ring keeps getting kicked, and it's in the ice, and he's, like, looking for it. So we're filming, and I'm near the camera, and we're shooting 16-millimeter film, and we're shooting on short ends which is, so we don't have full magazines of film. So I had gone to full magazines direct from the factory are more expensive. So what you can do is you can buy the leftovers from TV shows that Mm. shoot on film or or motion pictures. Not a lot of motion pictures shot on 16 millimeter. It was all TV shows. Mm. And so um, I would buy their short end. So it's like the leftovers. So you've got these very short magazines where you can maybe only, a full magazine would give you like, uh, I want to say like maybe 11 minutes. But I'm looking at a runtime of like three minutes in a magazine.
0: Oh shit! That does make difference. Makes a big difference, and I don't have yeah.
1: you know. I've got my camera assistant is my loader, so I can't be loading magazines and shooting at the same time because he's pulling photos. Mm. So mm. I only have a couple of magazines stored up, and we're on this last one. We're shooting the sequence, and it's.
0: And you're operating. No, as well? no, no, no. I'm just directing. Okay.
1: Wow, uh, oh,
2: wow, wow. And okay. so
1: I'm, I'm directing from uh, next to the camera because I, I trust uh, Joe Tillman was the cinematographer. He's just awesome. Such an awesome. Great. Uh, I'm, I'm next glad. to the lens, so I know the, the frame. So I don't need to see like monitor. Oh, I mean, we, I think we had like maybe like an old video tap, but not really. But I remember hearing the sound change in the magazine because I'd shot, I'd shot enough film. And I go, Are we good? Did we? And he's like, We're fine, mate. We're fine. Mm. I go, Okay. All right, should we do another take? He's like, we can do another take. And I'm like, boy, it just sounds different, but, like, it's been. (laughs) So fast forward to I'm at the telecine. The film's been developed, processed, and now we're scanning it in, and I'm watching it be scanned in in real time. And he kind of, like, gets hit by the fish, and then it, like, flashes out. That's the end of the Mm roll. And then the next roll starts, and we're, like, at the ferry. So then I'm calling Joe. I'm going like, "Hey, did you, is there maybe a whole magazine that like you have that I didn't develop?" And he's like, "No, no, no. Like you have everything." So like the whole kind of like action climax of the film was never shot.
0: Oh man, oh, that will happen. it will happen. So, lesson learned early, early on, lesson two. Yeah dude it's a trip like some of my films i've made as a young man i don't know where they are yeah like i don't have the access to the original files anymore or the export and i'm like fuck i wish i did have that film from 10 years ago Do you have any what you have yeah i do have stuff i mean i made i think i told you over 100 short films and some of them are unwatchable obviously but uh, and some of them I'm really going for it. Like, I even did some nudity in one I made in 2014. Just, like, really fucking going for it, you know? Yeah. But uh, it's just interesting to hear your stories, because it's, like, such... Not that that's an early days story, but sort of, in a way, right? Like, it's one of the first big lessons and kerfuffles and disappointments, and a lot of people would say, fuck this and quit. But you were like, yeah, well, let's keep going. <laughs> but this is a, yeah. amazing. You know, I remember when I was taking class with Jeff Goldblum, which, I, you know, I only name dropped because he's the fucking best. <laughs> and he was such an educator for me. He's probably the best educator I've ever had, even outside of entertainment. And he looked at our class early on and was like, if there's anything else you can do, do it. Do it like if if you're like I could be a banker, he's like, go do that because this industry's too hard. Yeah, if you don't love it, get out. And he's like, I say that with love and no judgment. He's like, but don't half ass. And you love it. We love it. And that story proves it. Like, even if you were like verbally, like I fucking hate it. Nah, <laughs> the action of what continuing on something after is pretty good man yeah yeah all right so that is your school experience now you're in la yeah and what's next like what do you what do you get into how are you starting what's your mindset well i I did that
1: and then i had to find a job because i had left school and so i pa'd on a whole bunch of stuff which is pretty cool um and then my folks were like, well, we're gonna, we, we'll help you uh, with your room, we'll contribute to that if you go back to school. And I'm like, they kicked me out. And they're like, gotta go back, you gotta finish what you started. So I go back to finish school, and my first class is TV production. And uh, I had just PA'd on Heroes, the NBC
0: show. <laughs> wow, yeah, I remember that.
1: And they were shooting on film. And no shit. They shot
0: Heroes on film. Oh, yeah. 37mm wow. film. Wow. Oh, yeah. Well, but see, but this is before digital. Everyone shot. Yeah. Yeah. Back in. Yeah. Wow. I keep forgetting how yeah. recent that transition was.
1: Uh, uh, my buddy Chris Opal is uh, color grading uh, Friends. They're going to do like a 4K re release of Friends. Friends is shot on film. Oh, that's true. And he's like, dude, it looks wow. gorgeous. Like, yeah, everyone's. Wow. Saw wow. So, um, I but I go And, you know, it's this young woman Well, not young woman, like a middle-aged woman And her first spiel is how film is dead No one shoots on film And this is, this is in 2008
2: mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like I was just on I'm like, yeah, raise my hand like, yes, <laughs> And I go like, not true uh, <laughs> So So yeah, yeah I didn't, I did didn't learn did that lesson I went back you. to school and I, I just fought my way to the finish line um, and then after that I, I graduated and I started working at James Cameron's 3D camera house which is called Cameron Pace 3D and I worked as a 3D camera technician for a couple of years I worked on uh, Hugo with Scorsese Life of Pi with Ang Lee um, I did uh, Justin Bieber live at Madison Square Garden
2: Whoa. that
1: was a trip um, the loudest sound in the world is 100,000 screaming girls. That's the loudest sound in the world. Um, and
0: for many reasons. For many reasons.
1: Uh, and then wanted to shoot and had an opportunity to, to shoot reality TV. And so uh, I transitioned out of that and went and did reality TV and worked on a lot of fun shows through there. And all the while was looking to... Um, you know, to just have a chance to, to be a cinematographer for a narrative project and that came in 2014. I met Rob Gordon Brawlver and I shot my first feature film in 2014 um, called uh, For All Eyes Always. It was then it was retitled by the studio Espionage Tonight. Um, super ambitious project uh, and we were just like, you know, we bit off way more than we could chew. Mm-hmm. But we just had an absolute blast doing it and um, met a lot of friends on that production that I've I've kept until this day. And um, and then kind of coming off of that, I did a little sci-fi project for, like a proof of concept for the Ridley Scott agency called Orphans of the Void. And on that project, I met Garrett Warren. He was the stunt coordinator. And uh, probably one of the coolest days of my life was he walked up to me. We were, it was our first day of shooting, I know Garrett was, um, you know, Garrett's like a legend, second unit director. He comes up and he hands me a cell phone and he goes, I like what you're doing. Give me your number. I was like, okay. And then that next January, I was the cinematographer for Mortal Kombat for Warner Brothers with him as the director. So I was 20, wow. 27 years old, I
2: think. 27?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I was young and it was this big $5 million union web series and um, I just took it a day at a time. It was crazy. And um, yeah, and then it never got finished. We shot this huge thing and I thought that that was going to be it and I was going to have this awesome career and the project Mm. never got finished. And uh, I really let that affect me for You know, I mean, really until, until Avatar then, which is like the next Garrett thing. It was really like Garrett saved me from depression. I had done, I had been doing little things and I'd been having a fun time and I'd been working, but I had never let go of the fact that I had done this really cool project that no one would ever get to see. And I let that really define me. And this is still something I struggle with is like these, these sort of landmark projects I want, like that becomes my identity. Mm. And now we're you know, the journey today is that it's not the project, it's me. Um, but man, you know, it's like it takes it takes a lot of self-work to get there. I think if you have the opportunity to work on something really cool, um you can let that be who you are, but that's not true.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's well said. Man, that that must have been so disappointing, and I'm sorry for that and just to be clear he was shooting Mortal Kombat before the newest one to see if the newest one or something like that would go right cuz they did uh-huh. the old Johnny Cage right Sonya one with the uh, back in the 90s and they were, they just redid one a few years ago but this is before yep. the latest one to see if that one would go right yep. Um yep. which is amazing because obviously Mortal Kombat's one of the biggest IPs in gaming history. It's incredible. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was a trip. Yeah, I was like no. sitting in my apartment in Venice going like I'm gonna be the cinematographer fucking Mortal Kombat, dude.
0: Yeah. You yeah, know, like get over here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's fucking right. Well, good for you, man. I-, I had an acting buddy. We're still good friends today. I'll leave his name out of here, but You know, when we were starting an acting school back at Playhouse West, we were, like, you know, 22. Mm -hmm. And he was already killing it. Series, like, uh, recurring guest stars on huge shows. And just was, like, making 80 to 100 grand a year as an actor. And then he hit this casting wall. And for my actors out there, there's a lot of reasons to not get cast, but this is one of them. His look didn't match his personality anymore because he was growing. And so he looked very impish and boyish, but he was like, as soon as he spoke, he was a mature man. Mm. And so for like eight years, he didn't work. Yeah, I mean, like a job every uh, two years here, you know, but nothing like it was in his early 20s. And uh, he made it through and not easily, you know, depression, identifying, ego, annihilation, you know, so it's not easy. And for a long time, I thought we'd lose him, um, not to life, but like to moving home. And I was always disappointed because of how massive a talent he is. And he's still and now he's in India shooting a feature film with like a huge cast. So like. And and he's so thankful for that experience too. Actually, he's in a place of genuine gratitude. Like, yeah, I'm glad I didn't get it in my twenties because I would have fucked it up. Um, so it's interesting to hear that from your side. Uh, Must have been super disappointing, my man. But an amazing experience.
1: Amazing experience, and um, you know, it's. I think that all of it informs. Well, if you, if you choose to let it to. It informs us. Yeah. You know, it's like, this is, we're just all learning and growing as humans. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Something that helped me recently was realizing you spend way more time making the movie than you do celebrating it. So, shouldn't we invert our focus on the experience of making the film? Like, Obviously, I know if I get to hire Nathan, if I'm lucky enough, he's going to do his level best to make this the most badass picture of all time, so I don't need to sit here and pen him about it. What I can do is make sure the experience for the artist is great so that they can do their best work. But for some reason, not for some reason, for money reasons in Hollywood, it's gotten, or maybe it's always been that way. I just started watching Babylon last night. Mm -hmm. Holy fuck. Did you see that? Oh, yeah, twice. It's amazing. It's amazing. And, like, relate to the material or not, like the material or not, you cannot dispute what, work they put into that movie yeah but i mean you finish it. i am two-thirds through okay. i just wanted to watch yep. like i want to see every frame of it so if i was getting sleepy i was just kind of like eh. i'm excited to talk to you about the end yeah i haven't seen it yet i just got to what did we just get to um my god damn margot robbie and it's so free She's so free. Yeah. And, like, that's the most exhilarating thing for acting is, like, to be that free. And which, it's pretty good. I could see why people are like, it's a little too inside baseball. But because I was getting everything. <clears throat> yeah. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's like Moneyball yeah. for acting. Is that kind of like? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm sure you've talked about... I'm looking at some of your projects. I do notes on my guests, yeah. Uh, And obviously, Avatar is a big one, but maybe you're tired of talking about it. So if you aren't or are, maybe just, like, what are some of the key things you learned or some of your key experiences? Like, I remember you telling me, like, it was a dream to be able to bike to work for a few years, you know. Things like that, um, just so you don't have to get mired in the whole story of it if you don't want to, because I'm sure you get asked a bunch. Well, I was thinking
1: about this, um,
0: and I wanted to kind of talk about, I
1: guess this is a a lesson that really got driven home on Avatar that I think applies to, well, I think it's available. It's a lesson available to any filmmaker at any level, Mm. so I thought it would be perfect for us to talk about. Great, I love that. And it's a freedom to fail. Mm. And so the whole, really the reason that Jim is so excited about doing mocap, and I don't know if you saw this, but his next film, he's, he's going to take a break and he's going to do a film about Hiroshima and Nagasaki before he... I didn't see that. Yeah, so he promised this man that he would tell his story. And the guy died, and so Jim's um, now. Really he's like, I have to. I, I made a promise. I have to do it. So it's looking like, as of right now, he's going to shoot this film before he shoots Avatar four. Um, there was a guy who was in the. He survived the first bombing, nuclear bombing, and then he walked to the next day to warn them that this had happened. And he got there right as the second bomb hit. So he's the only human to ever survive two
0: nuclear bombs. That's an amazing story. That's the long <laughs> line, the log line right there. So
1: um, I'm curious to see how he'll employ this, this technology in, in a film like that. Um, but he's into it because he can shoot a scene and then you can sort of tear down the set because it's a digital set. Mm. So tearing down the set is just sort of like unload the digital set file from mm. the computer. And then the physical space, we change these these you know low fidelity structures, um, but they can build and tear down a set in a day. Wow! So it still has the shape of the thing, but it's not the visual yeah. thing. The interactive bits are all there, but it, it doesn't have the visual fidelity. So you're not spending millions of dollars on this amazing set, and it's like, well, we got to tear the set down to make room for the next set. Mm. And then you're like, well, I want to go back and shoot something on the set. It's like, it's gone. You can never go back. Mm. So motion, ca- performance capture and the digital sets allow him to come back years later to take another swing at a scene that now that he's edited the film, he's like, the timing's off. Mm. Uh, she should look this way instead of that way. Whatever it is, he's just like, he's ah, yeah, just, uh, it can be better. It can be, mm. you know, can be faster. It can be different. And so um, you and I just did a film called Good Bad Things,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. and it's it's a lesson that I brought to that. And from day one, um, and I think that there there may be I don't I'm not including you in this group, but there may have been a couple of people that didn't know why I was preaching this, and and it can be kind of perceived I think as like oh, well, why is he such a downer? Why is he talking about reshooting things? And and it's like it's not it's about. Having like building a space for yourself creatively to get it right Mm -hmm. and to expect anyone to go out and just hit a home run on the first swing is insane.
0: dude. It's a fucking miracle what we do for lighting, for sound, for the story, for acting, for like to get one of those. And then you're asking for a bunch of those to line up to make a movie. It's a fucking miracle. I totally agree. I love that.
1: So yeah, I think that was the the biggest takeaway was watching him reshoot some scenes twenty six times. Whoa! And yeah,
0: yeah. I love that. You
1: know? and, and people get on board. Yeah. You know, it's just um, actors. It's like you see Zoe Saldana do a performance, and it's great. And we wrap the scene, and this happened pretty quickly. He's, so, so Jim is holding this, uh, like, 7-inch screen with F-18.
2: <laughs>
1: they were literally F-18 joysticks <laughs> modeled on the sides because he liked the way that that fits his hand the best. <laughs> so these 2-F-18, and he can, like, look through the 7-inch monitor, and it's basically a window to the, to the virtual digital world. Wow. So it's a one-to-one. So wherever he holds that 7-inch screen, what he sees is wow. the digital thing of, like, what it's actually going to be. And so he shoots the scene, he's looking this way, and then he moves around to dock it, and he realizes that what she would be looking at was this like whole other emotional thing. It's like, you know, mm. I don't want to give it away. I think it's part of Avatar 3. Mm. There's some stuff going on over here and we were looking this way and we hadn't created in the real world because it was just, it's, it's a massive set piece mm. happening over here. So we hadn't built that for her to play off of. So he sees this and he goes, oh, Zoe, come here. So she comes over and he shows her, he's like, that's what you would have been seeing. And she goes, oh, we have to do it again. Mm. And he goes, I think we should do it again, right? And he goes like, how much time do you need? She's like, give me five minutes. So she goes away. She comes back. We're all sitting there waiting for it. She co- and it's just like, dude, and then she just explodes. It's just this explosion of emotion that now is appropriate to, the, to what's actually mm. happened.
2: So it's just like
1: things like that where it's just like, it's okay to do something and then catch yourself and be like, Oh, I missed it. Mm -hmm. But, but you didn't miss it because you're feeling it now. Mm. That's, that's the art of it.
0: Mm, I love that. That's so true. I've heard this refrain told many times, like one of my buddies, Jason, he's a director. He just did a few episodes of CBS's Navy SEALs. Mm -hmm. And he did a Lawrence Fishburne, Nick Cage led movie. And Mm -hmm. he knows this Academy award winning editor. And he was working with them on the movie. And the guy was like, the secret to directing is getting more days and getting more coverage. And, uh, you know, he didn't use the word coverage, but basically saying like, he's getting me options. Like, Play, get experimentation. He's like, but obviously, this day and age, they're trying to cut your days out from you. And I even heard Lin- uh, David Lynch talking about it recently in an interview. He's like, "What happened to like dream, like the dream, like just being able to fucking go and just shoot and just see what we get and play." And so it makes sense, and I love that that's the way he's using it. it makes sense, and everybody is on board because they know. It's only going to make them better. I know for me as an actor, I'd be, like, hungry for that opportunity to do it again. If there was something left on the table and we're here, let's fucking go. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I just
1: want... I I want it to be a more ubiquitous attitude across smaller productions, you know? And that's... without naming names it's like don't go to new mexico and shoot a western if you don't have the money to go and shoot a western
2: right right, right. if
1: you're going to put yourself into a circumstance where protocols are going to be trimmed back and cut down so as to create an unsafe environment for the scope of what you're trying to do don't do it
0: no
1: take take that same amount of money and just and, and create a space for yourself where people are able to do what they need to do, Mm -hmm. you know, like,
0: yeah. Mm -hmm. I know. The only, I was thinking about this earlier. I'm like, the reason budgets get blown out is because of greed, like, and because of, uh, old Hollywood relics of structure, because, you know, like this next movie I'm looking at doing, the budget's 1.8 million. And I caught myself thinking, "Whoa! Like I better like do this." And I was like, "Whoa! <laughs> I'm just gonna do me the same way. I'm gonna mm-hmm. keep one million or a hundred dollars. I'm gonna mm-hmm. like yeah, we're gonna stay in nicer hotels, and but it's gonna be the same approach. I don't have to like fancy like just slow it down." and keep what's been working for me. But I could see how someone else might think, oh, now I've got, make sure every, you know, and all of a sudden all the money's just like gone, 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 gone. So the real piece of it, like the exploratory piece, has no room to breathe because all the money's been zapped out of it so quickly. Yeah. It's all yeah. good, though. It's all good. We're paving our own way, and... um we're in the thick of a forest. We don't know where we're headed. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. We're in a uncharted territory.
1: Yeah, with just where everything is at right now in
2: general.
0: Yeah. No, yeah. just like you and I, you know, just the way we're in our careers and mm-hmm. filmmakers, um, not necessarily doing it only the traditional way. No. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's I mean...
1: I don't think it's what is, what is traditional It's like I, I love the history of all of it, so there's always the lessons to take from it, but then it's just an absolute um, you've got to give yourself up to what's next mm. and um, and just listen. I wanted to ask you this question. Mm. Was there a moment on uh, helmet? Mm-hmm. A uh, TV pilot that we shot together last year. Was there a moment when you really felt yourself giving it up to the universe? Mm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm either in a place of where I just, I just don't understand, or I feel like this is beyond my prior experience, or I don't. Um, I had a plan. That plan's gone out the window, and I'm just now going to like trust and move into the unknown.
0: Well, yeah, a lot of it early on, you know, um, hiring you and getting to know you was really crucial in that because I, because of my prior experience, I was really starting to understand what I didn't know mm. and I was super okay with that, um, because I had gut checked myself a number of times in a number of areas. And I was like, you know, knowing intimately how a camera works and the variety of cameras doesn't occur to me naturally as a strength or an interest. But there are people out there who love that. And I love their love for it. And so if I'm able... Because I had just seen on a project I did where ego was like just getting in the way of that learning mm. that knowledge. I had just been on a project where our main editor quit at the finish line because our, um, the last phase of editing was going to our re-recording mixer for sound to mix the movie. And this guy we got on this movie, the re-recording mixer was super legit. So he's asking for stuff in a legit way, like you would on your top dollar movie, perhaps. And our editor, who's no fool and not inexperienced, but had ego because he was an independent film director and it never had to do it this way, quit, called the guy an asshole, put in the timeline he delivered, asshole timeline. Like, imagine being this petty and childish. The guy, he gave it to Mixed Helmet, too, by the way, is a legend, Patrick. Like, he's the nicest guy. And over the two years I've known him, he's taught me so much that I've practically been able to do on set and into next projects. And so, luckily, I caught that example then
2: because I saw
0: somebody who is so in their own way, they prevented their future learning and you know, it's not like Patrick's ever shamed anybody for having to teach. In fact, he's the opposite. He's mm-hmm. like, dude, I worked for Netflix, HBO. He's like, these they don't know this shit either. Mm-hmm. He's like, <laughs> like, let's not pretend, you know. And you're the same way. Um, where you're like so willing to teach, and it's there's no judgment. And so that's that was one uh, with Helmet. It was scary, man. Like, I've raised money before, but this was squarely on my shoulders. And mm-hmm. Bart is giving me his personal money. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was something where I'm just like, ah, it's going f- to be figured out. You know, because I'm like, am I doing my LLC right for this? What's this all going to look like? Like, again, I've been on those projects. But I wasn't necessarily the line producer or the one, the accountant taking care of it, or the lawyer. Mm-hmm. So we were I was really trying to just one man ban this with Kyle Brady and mm-hmm. uh Bart and, and then you and then my dad passed um a few weeks before and that was crazy. Um and I did sit with it for a minute like damn Do I, should I, but we've been working on this for too long and I think it was a good distraction for me Mm -hmm. and I just, when I got checked, I was like, he wouldn't want me to quit this or stop this. And there was like 35 jobs on the line. So I, I, Helmet was interesting. It was like all of my years of doing the other stuff came together like i had crazy acting schedules that i wasn't really telling people about like Mm -hmm. eddie was in pilot season the guy who plays alan like he auditions like crazy for huge shit all the time Mm -hmm. and i basically was asking him to do this as a favor Mm -hmm. And he had to test for a pilot in Steve Frumpkin's garage on lunch break. And he was, like, happy to do it. But, you know, a few years prior, I would have... That would have been a layer of stress. And then I would have been taking a layer of stress over here. And a layer... And then I would have just been stressed. And not that there weren't moments of stress on the shoot. Holy shit. But it wasn't the end of the world. Like mostly it was fucking great, but you know, it was hot. It was dusty. It was rugged. Um, so there was moments, but yeah, good question. But I definitely, I felt overall like just keep it simple picture Mm -hmm. sound. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And what was interesting about helmet is like, it's the first picture I've ever done where I got everything I wanted and more. And yet mm. it still all didn't work. <laughs> and that was a good lesson. Like you can get everything you want and it could still not work. And that's probably what Jim learned a long time ago with he's like, he, that scene, the first scene was Zoe. He wanted that. Right. And it didn't work. So that's what I learned with helmet. Cause I was like, damn, I got the shot. It's exactly what I wanted. It's even more beautiful than I could have imagined. And for this edit, it's not working. Mm. Lesson learned. Cool. Nothing. I'm not sure what to do about that, except you you to make it work. But it's like a cool freedom in that. Yeah. It's like, oh, you could, it could still not work. Just like something that didn't work on the day might end up working in your edit. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, boy. The number of times I I struggle with this so much. I, um... (laughs) (laughs) I was shooting this Thriller for um, For Lifetime And we were timing This shot on the Oregon coast where a wave Is coming in And as the wave comes In I pan with the wave and that takes Me to the actress who takes A photograph but then hears a sound And the pan continues and she Looks up and we're doing this for no money so I'm Doing this shot and I'm pulling focus And I'm wide open on the lens so it's a Very hard I'm, I'm pushing the camera on a slider and pulling focus and doing this pan. Oh my God, We're just all, you? Just me. Oh, wow. Pushing the camera, pulling focus and panning the camera up and, uh, and, then, and then racking focus to this bridge up above her all in one shot. And <laughs> I, do, I do a take and we'd, and this is like, you know, the 15th time we've tried it. And I get up to the bridge, and it's to that point too where I can't see the monitor anymore because I'm pushing on the slider, mm. and I'm just trusting that I'm racking mm. to the same spot. And I'm going like, and I get there, and I, I hold it for like one, one thousand, two, one thousand three, and then this voice inside me goes like, he's like, well, that was shit. We got to do it again. Mm. And I, and so then I, I pulled the camera back, and the director goes, what are you doing? Mm. That was it. And I go, oh no, was it? Mm. She goes, that was it. That was the one. And the only thing that saved us was that, like, and that's like a reality television lesson is you get to that point where you just at least live in it for three seconds. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't like something, mm-hmm. just sit for three seconds to give the editor a fighting chance. Yeah.
0: that's so true. But, uh, I killed, boy, I wish uh, I would have
1: held for another few seconds. I babe. killed a Dude. bunch
0: of shots doing that. Dude, I really? I got I oh, yeah, man. Personally, yeah, I've killed shots like that. Just not doing the three-second adherence. I'm like, got it, right? It's like, no, you got a picture, basically, that now blurs on both sides. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I will say, I have to bring this up on good, bad things. We were going to do two operators, me and you. And, Mm. you know, I had done what I would call, you know, amateur operating, like, my whole career, in a sense. Um, Not, like, day in, day out by any means but very like if i've got to do it i get to do it and i i enjoy it but holy shit even though we're doing a very simple movie and i'll give myself credit like yeah you should i give myself credit in the recognition that my skill set was so far away from yours
2: yeah, and you
0: may just like be nice about it, but that's the truth. Cause I've, you know, I could just see it. I, I, I've been doing my own camera enough to like look at the edges of frame. I was like, look at his, look at mine. I'm like fucking like it's like trying to sh- shoot a needle in a needle stack from a needle farm in a needle planet and needle outer space. And uh, so, you know, it was just very humbling in a good way. Where I was like, wow, like. There are fucking levels to this. There are levels. And so I just wanted to bring that story up because it's it's the true true.
1: You were balancing a lot, though. It yeah, was, that's it was true.
0: That was,
1: super. Un- I mean, you're just a, a superhero for how quickly you were like, I'll take that on. Like, I'll take on one more task. I'll do one more thing. And, you know, and thanks. it's like your confidence betrays you, yeah, you know, because yeah. I was like, you just... We all love you, and everyone <laughs> believes. Just like, yeah, like of course he's gonna yeah. like he'll be, he'll be easy. This yeah. will be perfect. Yeah, like, not that it was. It was just like uh, it, why? It kinda, I think it became a question of like, is it necessary? Like, why? Why put you? Why add one more level of stress for you to think about and all that stuff? Well, it just
0: didn't. And a, was it like the risk reward? It would have been right if the reward was I was knocking off great film. Cool but the reward was we were like having to find sections of my work, which was actually creating more work just to review the footage to make sure it was okay. So it was, which is which is also part of just shooting multi-camera in general. Yeah, so even if it was like a
1: couple of really good camera operators, it's still, that's why, you know, like Roger Deakins won't shoot multi-camera. It's like multi-camera work is so hard. And then we're trying to do it. On on a fifty thousand dollar, yeah, Yeah, on
0: the flats, like, yeah, yeah, I know. So switch, not the right, yeah, yeah, I know, not the right prep time, nothing. But uh, I want to hear about your experience on uh, helmet because you've often said that it was a killer experience for you, and so you know, I just want to hear your experience.
1: So, yeah, I love helmet. It's visually uh, just, you know, from, from my side of things, hands down, the coolest thing I've ever been able to, to work with. You built a world um, that's so rich and textured, and you just found, I mean, you, you, just, you put all the pieces together. You know, I mean, it's like no one has ever, I've never been a part of a low budget project where the writer director has assembled so much that it builds a playground for, you know, an indie cinematographer to come in. And it's like, it reminds me of stories I heard where they're like shooting the Italian job in Venice. And he's like, I can point the camera literally anywhere and it looks amazing. And that's what it felt like we were doing there was just um we just built this amazing backlot. Oh my god. Steve's.
0: It's amazing.
1: And it's just incredible. So that I mean that that was just the really that was that was the big thing for me, It was just the ability to, to line up and set and then and then production design and like move things around where it's like you know what would be really great would be if we had, like, 50 motorcycles in the corner over here. It's like, I got 50 motorcycles. It's like, okay, Steve, I'm sure you do. <laughs> yeah, <and he laughs> yeah,
0: like yeah.
1: Wheeling out motorcycles for the background of this shot. It's like, oh, this is amazing.
0: He never complained um, once
1: either. It's crazy. He's he's amazing. Yeah. Um, this is Steve, the owner of the Rams that we filmed at, talking about. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, and then the opportunity to... So the visual part of it, like, that's the nerdy filmmaker part of it, which is just a blast to have a great camera and great lenses, and then to just photograph stunning cars and the way that we photograph the cars, all old school with the hard mounts and um, just how beautiful Steve's property was. But that's sort of all of the, the skyscraper built on top of this foundation of just solid human beings mm-hmm. where there was no ego, no drama, so much love and support. So, I mean, just the words of affirmation and, oh my gosh, man. I mean, it was just such a warm, inviting place to show up to every day. The way that you took care of, of everyone, um, everyone was heard and respected and uh, knew that their, contrib- their contribution would be, well, it's like knew that if they wanted to contribute and if there was any glimmer of how it met your vision that you would take it. Because I think everyone, you know, like I think any good filmmaker knows that like I have an idea and it might not help. Right. Uh, but that they felt safe to voice the idea mm-hmm. is a victory um and just how open and wonderful you are when you're going like like that's a great idea Mm. like everyone you know thor had this amazing idea let's go let's go we're going to do thor's idea that's just the the best best.
0: the best i love when people have good ideas (laughs) that's fucking great ah thanks man no that was a, a wonderful experience for me that was such a good learning experience i mean just think about what we did we were Filming up on that road illegally, (laughs) big like, not nothing. Like, we're building rigs on the side of the road day one. Remember that? But I love that because we just were like, Do we need to build these here? Let's take it back to the ranch. And like, then we had a whole operation coming out of Steve's place, and those cars like (laughs) like amazing jordan doesn't even have the mustang anymore like it was such a fleeting experience i don't think so at least he might have sold it oh no he sold or he gave back his honda but uh not that that would be a problem it's a common vehicle we could get it back but steve's got enough i think yeah (laughs) 34 vehicles
1: and it's just such a dream to rig to those cars. It's like you can't rig cameras to modern plastic cars. Mm. You just can't do it. Oh, really? No, and so that was because we we were going to use, uh, I think, Jordan's other car as, like, uh-huh. a camera vehicle. You yeah. we guys were like, we just, it's, we can. not Like, there's nothing to grab onto. It's wow. just all plastic. Just a piece of shit. But all of those 1970s beasts... It's a dream. Like, it's an absolute dream. It's like, yeah, we're just going to pop the hood off or pop the yeah. trunk off. And like, yeah. you know, it's it just. I do. I just I just I want to go back and do that that job again and again
0: and again. We're going to figure it out. I'm yeah. I'm trying. That's for sure. I'm fucking trying. And uh, I'm really excited about I have that pilot. <laughs> I'm, I want to shoot that. Yeah. Like the rest of that. Very yep. very shootable. Yep. Um, all right. We've gone through yep. quite a bit. I want to know who inspires you?
2: Or and and or what inspires you? Uh my parents, mm. my family, my sister. Um, yeah, for sure. Um,
1: you know, everyone has their journey. And, you know, I've, I've witnessed ups and downs, and I've witnessed, um, you know, sort of sticking to it and seeing how things like if you stick to it, you, know, you just never know. Um, <clears throat> my dad's expression is, uh, to just stay on the dance floor,
2: mm. mm-hmm.
1: and um, you know, like if you, if you choose to, to you know, give up, which believe it or not, you know, like I think about all the time. Where it's mm. just like I really want to keep going down this path. Mm-hmm. Is there something else that I'd want to do? I just can't bring myself to doing it. Um, it gets hard to love. This process sometimes. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen in my father, you know, is a love for aviation that at times killed him. Um, but he's currently experiencing a renaissance. Mm. He just he didn't quit. He stuck with it. He stuck with it when a lot of his coworkers did not, and it paid off in a big way. Mm. So you know, it's just um, stay on the dance floor. This too shall pass. And um, that's really been just him. Him as an example has really been inspiring uh, in the past year.
2: Mm.
1: You know, it's hard to come off of like, you know, Avatar was a super cool experience. And I've, I've shared earlier in this conversation that, you know, like I'm guilty of being identified by by projects that I've been on. And so then it's just sort of like, okay, cool. Well, what next? Mm -hmm. You know, like, and that happened and that's cool. um, But I'm still me. And I was the, I was hired because I was me, you know, it's like I got brought on to be me. And so all the traits that made me eligible for that job have only improved. I'm only a better version of myself today than I was that I'm only a better artist today. than I was 2017 when i started working on that project so um to just stay in it because you don't know what's next you know and and just keep loving it um when i see people who just stay in the love that's that's garrett man it's just like you know garrett really loves it Mm -hmm. he really loves it um so when I meet those people that just so deeply love like what you're saying, Jeff told you, you meet these people who just love it. That's so inspiring. And I feel silly for 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 doubting my own love for it at time. i going like, what? Like, what am I really? You know, who am I really kidding? You know, it's like I really do love it. So.
0: Yeah, you do. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Who are you kidding? Not me. Yeah. Um, you know for me at least and I know you could probably relate to this it's all the other bullshit that we let get in the way yeah like if you really want to be brass tacks about it we've never not survived our hardest moments because we're right fucking here right now right so obviously it stands the reason we survived so it's like why are we putting all this I I'm speaking for me like Put all this financial pressure on it. I'm 36. Yeah. Like, that's so young. But in this industry, there's like a point zero 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 one percent of people who are killing it at our age. And we're close to those people, too. And we're like, why not me? And it's just like, because in 10 years, we might look back and realize that would have been the worst thing that could have ever happened to us. And so, for me at least, the solve, salve, S A L V E, has been just to like re. Just the... it's never the love's always there. It's the other stuff that gets cloudy around it, actually. Sure. Yeah. And that's. Yep. And I've noticed things happen in my career faster, further, deeper when I let like, go of the money shit. And that's something else Kelsey said. After she got hired at this big firm. Because she's produced two other films since. This Mm -hmm. is the two Leslie girl. Woman. She said. Every other project I've been a part of. uh, The ones about money. Fall apart. She's like. They just do. Or they fall apart the easiest. Because it's just about the money. Which is meaningless. It's just numbers on a screen. As you know as being a trader. You're just like. it's it's like fucking magic numbers like what are we tripping about and uh yeah so that's something i've really had to do in my own because i want to be like a billionaire and a filmmaker it's like why can't i do both and suzanne you know and i were talking the other day and she's like well you know some artists aren't recognized in their time could you be okay with that Right. And I was like, no! But I guess i will have to be, because this is all I'm going to do.
1: All right. Yeah, I think about that, too. I think about all the people.
0: <laughs>
2: like,
1: I, I love the history of L.A. and, like, the dude who built Venice Beach, mm. which is now one of the most expensive, it's like some of the most expensive real estate in the world. Yeah. He died a penniless failure. <laughs> wow. You know, the guy who built the whole thing.
0: Wow, that's like, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think also like, uh, the way we've cut our teeth is a superpower for us, and it's mm. and it's coming faster and faster, because filming's never gonna go away. Like filmmaking, movies, be like, you know, if you do your history or research, uh, as I know you have in certain subjects in film. The industry's always been at the brink of disaster. Yeah. Like in the sixties it was dead. In the seventies was yep. like the renaissance in a sense of in the eighties was like back in a big blockbuster way. But it was always on the ropes. So I think this more the ability to be pared down is gonna be mm. really important coming up. Mm. Cause I've already heard it where people are like, All right, this investor. He wants to make 10 movies for 600,000 each. And I'm like, oh. So, like, even these studios are starting to think in that term. But, like, you know, when I took my Sicario producer friend to lunch, he was like, I've never made a movie under 5 million. I wouldn't know where to begin. And I often run into that with other producer friends. They're like, I don't even know where to start. And I'm like, I do. I know to start in both projects, actually. So I found that kind of interesting. Yeah. What are you working on these days? Like, what are you filling your days up with right now?
1: Dude, I am writing, and I I am really, I'm really loving it. Mm. And I have found, you know, because you and I chatted a little bit about this. My strength is not to just go off into the wilderness and write something by myself. Um, I have totally, it's really bizarre. Um, not through the action of like seeking it out, mm-hmm. but the universe has brought me people who go like, Hey, you know, like I want to, I've got this thing I want to work on. It, I just don't want to do it by myself. <coughs> and I go, oh, it's like, I, I love what you're working on. And this is kind of my perspective on mm-hmm. it. And they're like, love that. Mm-hmm. Do you want to do this together? So now it's been like, okay, too much, too much, too much, too much. Because now I'm like, well, spread way too thin. Like I have to really kind of yeah. focus and choose um, and prioritize. I want to do all of them eventually, but now it's like, okay, cool. This is a cool problem to have. Like there's, you know, four really awesome – yeah, four really awesome screenplays that I'm working on now. Wow. And, and just kind of jumping between. and um, And, you know, and it's just – it's been super hard to – rewire my brain and get out of you know where i had i had grown to as a cinematographer mm-hmm. and get back to where i was as a sophomore in high school mm-hmm. writing screenplays for school projects yeah and i'm finally just in the last couple of weeks like really starting to go like you know really just this last week like kind of finding that passion again i like okay like like, I'm finding that rhythm and just, um, and finding a process with these other writers that works for both of us. Good. You know, like, how, how are we both at our best? And um, I'm loving it.
0: Fuck yeah. It. I can't yeah. wait. I can't wait to read them eventually. Yeah. Man. Dude, that's, I got
1: in my <laughs> outline alone for, for Savage, I've got 26 pages. Yeah, you do. On the outline. So I'm just like, super stoked
0: good man good i love to hear that I uh, I'm starting this thing with Jesse who you know he was your second
2: Well, Jesse
0: and uh, we're really excited about that project I'll tell you about it offline but just making me giggle um yeah I've been mostly doing a bunch of rewriting lately on other stuff Mm. that I've already had which has been Mm. a new adventure too what does that look like (sighs) Well, some had notes, some, uh, it was just time away. Like it was fascinating. This script I almost sold to the company that did that Western you mentioned. Uh, yep. thank God it didn't go because everything happens for a reason. But yeah, you know, because it had almost sold, I didn't look at it again for a while because mm-hmm. two things, and mm-hmm. I've learned this lesson like, if you're in the midst of selling a project, don't change it. <laughs> I, we were in the midst of, we had raised money for this movie called Exclusive. It never went. And then the author, I was producing, the author started changing the script. And I was like, why? And he's like, well, I sent it to my buddy at UTA and he gave me this. And I was like, dude, cool. Like, but have that separate. Cause these guys paid for this and they didn't give us notes. So what are you doing? You know, I get it. You're trying to impress your buddy at UTA. I get it. But at the same time, so that was one business thing. So I had wow. learned, thank God. Okay.
2: That's so a good lesson. I
0: wasn't changing it. And then secondarily, I was like a little ego. I was like, it's almost sold. But like my writing mentor and my buddy, who is a studio president. So he's read a few scripts. <laughs> they both had the same note on it, which was character development. <clears throat> and so last year, 2022, I basically spent all year when I was in my own personal writing, just focusing on character. And it was really hard and it was really ugly. And finally in December, it coalesced and I broke open that script. The one I had just been talking about two weeks ago. And I just was like, whoa, Like, I can't believe I turned this in. And I always feel that way when I've broken through on another level. Yeah. And, like, look. Like, I have a $5,000 document. And, like, somebody spent that much money to go, look. like, this is serious. And it was just cool to see. So the way I'm rewriting now is... Well, really making sure every scene starts at A and goes to Z, and I'm not saying it has to be an emotional kick in the dick every scene, obviously, but like really making sure there's something. Why are we watching this scene? Why? And just playing with that and having so much fun there. And then in my other rewrites, uh, it's note based, you know where. At this point, it's the same two guys, you know? Kevin and Alex have given me feedback on it who are extremely experienced. And I noticed the way they give feedbacks like thoughts. They're like, well, maybe it's this. Like, you know, it's never like, it's this. And so because they're, and that's how I try and give notes too. Like maybe because it gives me the freedom to build on top of it. And idea, yeah. ideas that give me ideas are my favorite ideas right yeah. like your idea might not be the final thing but right. it gave me the right. idea here and so yeah. that's yeah. been fun and i finally feel like i'm in this place where the characters are telling me what's going to happen next um which is kind that's of fascinating because so cool. yeah. i never had that even though i wish i did but in yeah. this latest thing i was like whoa like i guess this is happening yeah. now All right. yeah that's really cool that's been cool I mean like writing Helmet the pilot like that's all that stuff coalesced into that you know I was like wow I'd never seen that's the other thing I try and do when I'm writing is like have I seen this scene before Mm -hmm. I hope not because that's trying my answer is always no I hope you know the one I'm writing I hope I've never seen this before and of course Mm. some obviously happened but that's what I'm aspiring right. to. And mm. uh, I love it. I love it. And also being in therapy has helped me understand people more.
2: Mm.
0: And that's been nice to like be able to be like, oh. And obviously all the years of training, like so many years of training as an actor, that's helped. But yeah, Yeah, that's how it's looking right now. And I also, I think I'm very good at... Um, when I'm not feeling the vibe, I don't write. I go and take walk. I, I write, but it's like I work, rather, but I'm not writing. I'm not committing. I'm going out. I'm walking. I'm thinking about it. I'm trying things out. I might even act it out. Yeah. But I'm not committing because when I do commit, the output is monstrous. So I don't necessarily want to like unleash the beast until I'm fueled up. Because <laughs> I, you know, some people are like write every day, no matter what, and I'm like, well, yeah. that doesn't feel like protecting the love of your art form to me. To me, to me, yeah, to me, yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. All right, my brother, we're gonna wrap it up, but before we do, nah. I just want to say, I love you so much. You're one of the best people I've ever met. And obviously an incredible artist. Uh, But that's secondary to the man you are and the man I love. And I'm excited to see what the future brings for us. And, uh, yeah, thank you for doing this with me.
1: Dude, my my life is better for having met you. Uh, Thanks to Suzanne. Yeah. And I just... Yeah,
0: thank you, Suzanne. Fuck.
1: Thank you, Suzanne. Um... Thank you for bringing me along on your journey uh it's It's given me some of the greatest joys in my
0: life. oh man, that brings me so much joy truly I have fucking that experience of helmet and good bad things is yeah amazing all right i'm gonna i'm gonna stop the record and then we'll uh debrief and we'll give, cool. give you digital kisses <laughs>
2: okay.